Every Child Can Learn podcast. The podcast is offered to you by Backup Uganda. You can listen to our podcast online on our website www.backupuganda.org. And if you are in Gulu, you can pick up the audios offline from Radio Maria and Backup Uganda office that is located at Elefante Commons. Head teachers from the district schools can pick the podcasts from the district education office and head teachers from the city schools can pick theirs from the city education office. Do you like our podcast? Feel free to share it with your family, friends and neighbors. The more people learn about learning difficulties, the better we can help our children. Hello everyone, welcome to our 29th episode of Every Child Can Learn. My name is Lanyaro Gladys. I am the lead trainer at Backup Uganda. Today we are very happy once again to meet our new guest who is going to tell us her names, where she's from, and what she does for a living. You're most welcome. Thank you. Um, Hi, uh, I'm Colleen Lee. Um, I'm from America originally. I've been in Uganda for 11 years now, so in Gulu, so I'm pretty, pretty gulu at this point. Um, and, um, I have a master's in public health and my husband and I, um, work here in gulu running a ministry, um, doing house churches. It's called house to house following Jesus. And, um, I'm also a mother of two boys. Um, one is nine and one years old and the other is, uh, making six. So yeah, happy to be here. Thank you very much, Colleen. I I believe you know a little bit of actually now, because right. eleven years is quite <laughs> it's quite a long time being in good. Interesting. Thank you so much. Uh, at least she knows Angeo Manognok. Thanks so much. I, I know our listeners will be very interesting to, to, to hear the whole of it, the whole, the whole actually. Um, I know before we, we met or before doing this recording, I'd had a conversation about your child having ADHD and autism. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you let us know uh, about being a parent to a child with both autism and ADHD? How? And when did you know in the first place that you have a child with both autism and ADHD? Thank you. We didn't notice at first, like my child, so my nine-year-old has autism and ADHD. And at first we, we didn't really notice because developmentally he was hitting all of his milestones. So he was, um, like when, when baby's starting to crawl, he was within the range of starting to crawl. When babies are starting to walk, he's starting to walk. When they're toileting independently, he was toileting independently. So there wasn't anything major with speaking. We had a moment where we were like, eh, 
is is he okay? But we had just gone to America for the first time after having him here. We went to America. He heard all those American accents. And then we came back and then he got very quiet. Like he had been starting to make those like ba 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 baby sounds. And then um, he got to to Uganda and started hearing a choli again. And then we thought maybe it was like he was just listening. It was just trying to understand like, oh, something's shifted in how everyone is speaking and there's a second language. But then after a couple of months, he just started talking in full sentences and speaking Acholi and English. So it was like, okay, he was just learning his second language. And so we didn't think anything of it um, until 2020, really. So uh, until up until then, he was... You know, he's a great kid. He's really sweet. He was a little bit, uh, we would call it quirky in America, where he's just like sometimes doing things a little different. He would play, when he would play with friends, it would be um, sometimes he would just observe friends playing instead of actually actively playing with them, you know? And so he's like, I played with friends. And I'm thinking, I don't know that that counted, but you think you had a good time, so okay, it's okay. And um, so we didn't really think too much of it um, until 2020, which was a tough year for everybody because of the pandemic. And we were, you know, in Uganda, we're going through lockdowns just like everyone else and not leaving our compound, staying at home. And he missed seeing his friends, you know, all of our our social lives have all, you know, gone away and we're all with ourselves. (laughs) And so um, towards the end of 2020, my normally very chatty, very like lots of storytelling, big imaginations child stopped really speaking. Um, He would share if he had like a need. So if he needed to, if he was hungry or if he was tired, he would say, mom, I'm hungry. Mom, I want something to eat. I'm tired. But instead of telling us these interesting stories and bringing us into his world, you know, with his words, he just stopped speaking and um that was our our first real sign it was like some something's wrong people don't just stop talking you know that's not normally what's going on and you know where is our son like we've kind of we missed him and we missed our normal conversations and our 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 life that we had grown used to with him and so and he had also replaced those times of, of talking and sharing with us with um, what we now know to be called stimming, where he's um, self-soothing by doing some activity over and over and over again. Um, so for him, it was you know, running across the room, slamming against a wall, and then coming back and then doing it again. And he wasn't hurting himself, he wasn't harming, but it was just all the time. And it was the only thing that apparently was keeping him calm. We didn't know that. We were freaking out (laughs) because it was so different than what we'd ever experienced before. So that's when we knew. And we had, so that happened for about three months. And then the lockdowns lifted. We found out that children couldn't get COVID, which was very (laughs) exciting. Um, And so we started meeting his friends again and starting to visit them. And he went back to his normal self. He got a little bit a bit of his normal life. The stress lowered, and he went back to being his normal self. And so, but 
that was so strange and it happened for three months that we knew we needed to find some answers. So um, we were already planning to go back to America. So we went back to America and um, sought out a diagnosis. And then we found um, that he had autism and ADHD. So yeah, that's how we did it. It it sounds a very long story, but as a parent, it's also a challenging moment where uh, you're in a mix of two disorders, autism and ADHD. But also, uh, I want to understand, what made you, I know you already said you went to America and you did a diagnosis and they found out that he had autism and ADHD. But I want you to help listeners out there to understand what are some of the signs uh, one can see in children with both conditions. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it is confusing because when I was, you know, on my own during that period of silence with my child, I'm, I'm researching, I'm looking on the internet and there, the lists for autism, he would check some of those boxes and the list for ADHD, he would check some of those boxes, but he didn't check enough of either box for me to be like, oh, I know what's happening. It was like, I don't know what's happening. Why, why is it both or nothing? I don't know, you know? And um, so we got that diagnosis and, and now I can see why. It's because sometimes um, autism and ADHD uh, hide each other. When, when they're both in some one person's brain, they can look, um, they don't look like maybe a typical autistic person or a typical ADHD, not look, but have the behaviors yeah. of a typical one or the other because they are mixed. Um, but I have, yeah, there are things that do cross over between both. And um, the, the, if you think about like two circles, there's the autism circle um, and there's the, uh, the ADHD circle. And those, those symptoms of both of those um, diagnoses, there is a section where those two circles are overlapping. There's a, a cent, if you have you know, those two rings overlapping, there's, a, there's an intersection, thank you. And so in that intersection is a lot, I think it's actually a very large intersection between the two. Um, so focus is one of those things where they're both, and I have notes so I don't get lost, but um, both can struggle with focus in maintaining focus or becoming hyper-focused. So it's instead of um, kind of in the middle of like, okay, I have my focus on this and then I'm going over here, um, especially with preferred tasks. So something that an autistic or ADHD person loves to do, they will stay completely focused. They, they have no attention for anything outside of that world because they are working so hard. And then going to something that is not preferred, something that you don't like to do, it's very difficult to maintain the focus to be able to complete that task, to, to do that. And that's with both autism and ADHD. Um, impulsivity can be very similar as well. So an ADHD brain can be very impulsive, can say things or do things re without really thinking. It goes so fast from the brain to the body or the mouth that it just poof, comes out. Um, autism, that can happen particularly when an autistic person is stressed. So when, when they're very stressed, they have that same like impulse to just, ah, ah, 
you know, just fix it, just do something. Um, and then the impulsivity in autistic people can go down when they're less stressed, but it, it just depends. In my child's brain, it's both. So <laughs> impulsivity is something we deal with all the time. Transitions can be very the, the same in, in both ADHD and autism because of um, transitions are hard, especially if you're going from something you love to do to something you just have to do, right? So like getting my children to brush their teeth is not their favorite thing to do. They would rather play, you know? So if I'm getting them to go from from playing to brushing their teeth, it can be a, a big struggle and for both an autism and ADHD brain um, just to get moving into that thing. Even if you know you want to do it and, or you know you have to and you know you're supposed to, it's a real big struggle just to transition into that. Um, routines are one of those things that I feel like are mostly the opposite, but kind of not so... ADHD people tend to struggle with keeping a routine, to struggle with keeping a, a habit and like, oh, I just do this. I don't think about it. I'm always just doing this habit. But at the same time, I've seen a lot of um, ADHD adults who have to have a routine, have to have like a, a system in place so that they can get their life, you know, completed, get those tasks completed. Um, and autistic people also love routines because it gives them a sense of control of a very chaotic world. <laughs> There's a lot going on. And so those routines can really help them to feel calmer. Um, so my child with both um, loves to have routines and then gets frustrated when he can't maintain the routine or especially if other people can't maintain the routine that he has set for them <laughs> so but he finds it valuable um which i get um social situations are another one so um social difficulties are a criteria for diagnosis for autistic people because they struggle so so much with social dynamics because communicating understanding the rules of society and how people you know talk they're often um noticed to be like oh you you why did you miss that? Why did you miss this social cue? Like she said this, why didn't you respond in this way? You know, like you, you were somewhere else. Um, but ADHD people can do the same thing because again, the brain and the mouth, they're just going, they might say things and like, Ooh, I know I wasn't supposed to say that. I have also made a mess of this social situation, you know, so there's a lot of overlap still. It looks a little different sometimes, but when it's all in one brain, it can look very similar. Um, and then the last one I think I have on my list is sensory sensitivities, which is such a big one in our, in our house. Um, but I think it can be in a lot of places. So, um, when you have issues with senses and they can be either, um, hyper or hypoactive. So like you really, really notice the bright lights. You really, really notice the, the itchiness on your clothing. You can see all those things, like you, you're noticing all of those things, or you barely notice other things. So we know the, the, the normal five senses are what? Sight, taste, touch, smell, sound. There are three more, vestibular. Um, so I call this the like, the motion sickness one, because if you're on a bus, um, 
the vestibular is in charge of uh, telling you, you where your body is in space. And when you're moving very fast, like if you're taking a bus somewhere and you get motion sickness, your vestibular system is like, why are we moving so fast? You're sitting still. You must be poisoned. <laughs> Let's throw up and get the poison out. Um, but that is something where like you, you're, your body's just having a hard time knowing where it is yeah. in space. Um, proprioception, so your your coordinated movement. Um, ADHD and autistic people can be uh, clumsy sometimes. They just fall for no reason or like try to walk through a do open door and they still bang on, you know, the side of the door. They just missed <laughs> that opening um, because they don't know where their body is um, in space. Oh, sorry. Yeah. With, with, um, being clumsy and then also balance as well. And then force. So like how hard you touch something or how softly you touch something is something that that proprioception should tell you. Um, but sometimes the, those signals are not coming, um, from the brain to the body and the way that, or the brain body to the brain and the way that, you know, they would for other people who don't have these, um, diagnoses. And then the last one is interoception. Mm -hmm. So what your body is feeling. So um, when you know you need to go susu, but you're, and, and your body's like giving you a warning, like you need to use the toilet. You need, you need to go. It's time to prepare yourself to go get up and go to the toilet. Sometimes those signals don't always come or they come at the last minute or they come when they're very high you know your body's screaming go to the toilet you know and you finally you get up and go that can happen with both as well so giving those those inside signals and that's also with how you're emotionally feeling and how you're experiencing empathy so understanding how someone else is feeling sometimes you can be super aware or not very much at all. So I'm sorry this list is so long, but, but they're all things that my child experiences and the, the levels are different. Yeah. Um, it depends on the day. It, you know, it can depend on a lot of things, but I think we've all struggled with those things. Like this music is just too loud for me. These, you know, these clothes just don't feel right today. They're itchy, they're tight, I'm uncomfortable. It's like that, but even more sometimes, you know, in an autistic and ADHD brain. This is interesting. And um, I know whatever my guest has been explaining, as, as some of the things that we really experience as, as human beings or as people who do not have these conditions. But trust me, for a child or for someone having autism and ADHD, this is way more. It's times 10 of mm -hmm. what we experience as people who do not have these conditions. Mm -hmm. But I'm very much amazed by uh, the message we are getting. I know this is a lot of content, but please, I, I, I love the fact that uh, Colleen is bringing it out clearly. And another interesting thing that I really want to find out from my guest is how have you been able to support your child? It really feels like it's a lot. Um, having a child with ADHD and then at the same time having a child who has autism. And I want our listeners to know that these are two different conditions. Autism is to do with, with someone not socializing. You are to yourself. And then ADHD is the opposite. 
you are hyper you want to do this boom something comes up you 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 you, you can't maintain your impulse something pops up in your mind you say it now those are two different things but our guest has a child with both so someone should already begin imagining how is she managing with this child so i want her to also tell us how have you been able really to support your child thank you yeah um yeah so like i said uh, there are so many things that are similar with those those two diagnoses um but i think that the most the most important thing that we did as soon as we did find out that he was autistic and had ADHD uh, was talk with him. Um, because even though he was young, he was five years old when we, we got his diagnosis. So you're like, oh, he's a child. He doesn't understand anything. No, he knew he could know that something was a little bit different about himself and he couldn't you know you can't figure out why you're like what what's I feel like I'm doing everything the same as everyone else but I'm not and like people are looking at me weird you know he's with his his classmates and it's just not going the way that he thinks it should go and it was really confusing to him so we we shared with him about his diagnosis and explained that his his brain is different than other people's, which can be really amazing and give him so many gifts in the world, but also it can be challenging because he doesn't think in the same pattern that a lot of other people do around him. So that was one of the biggest things um, to support him, to just continue to talk with him when he feels frustrated or confused um, about what he's experiencing in the world. Um, Also, we... uh, Therapy is amazing. So we had uh, opportunities to connect with occupational therapists. And um, I know that several people end up working with speech therapists when they have um, trouble with speaking. And we almost did. And (laughs) um, they were able to address specific things that would help him to gain uh, more abilities, more, uh, yeah, to, to, to be able to continue to progress in his independence as he grows up. Um, so we're constantly doing those things. It's a lot of work, but at the same time, it's very worth it. You can see, um, the growth that he's had. It's slow growth, but you can see it, um, over the years. Um, and then understanding his, uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about how to support him, um, how to, um, if there's a, a, a skill that I want him to learn, like uh, bathing himself, right? Um, this was much younger, but like I, he struggled with like, there's actually a lot of tasks in bathing yourself. There's like getting the soap, getting the sponge, turning on the water, turning off the water, drying yourself off. How do you bathe without getting soap in your eyes? And you know, like, you know, all of these things, we don't think about it. We're like, I don't know, just take a bath. (laughs) You're fine. Just get clean. But he needed more support. So something that I um, do a lot is figure out, okay, this is too, far for you um this is this is your edge of of competency of understanding and knowing how to do something taking a bath when he was five was was too far like doing that independently without my help was too far for him to to really get so i kept backing up 
um, and, and backing up until I could break down the steps. Like your job right now is to get yourself undressed. We're going to just work on that skill. And then the next job is like getting the water temperature where you need it to be. Okay. The next job, you know, like once you become skilled with something, then that's no longer uh, uh, a challenge for him. It doesn't feel like chaos. And then we can add, but it's a little at a time instead of just, okay, go take a bath, you know, figure it out. So I spend a lot of time, um, doing that to, to provide those supports and, and breaking skills down into something that feels manageable and something that he can do piece by piece that we work on. Um, and then the last thing that I do is just letting him be him. You know, um, autistic people are known uh, often for their stimming or uh, walking in an interesting way on their tiptoes, things like that. And it's not harming anybody. It's, it is a way that they keep themselves calm, right? It's a way that they, or, or experience joy. And um, I found out very quickly, I followed a lot of autistic adults on the internet. Thank you, autistic adults on the internet um, for uh, sharing those experiences where um, when they were able and allowed to, to be themselves, when it wasn't harming anybody and it wasn't harming themselves and they were just able to spin for as long as they wanted or walk on their toes without anybody, you know, complaining, then they felt more themselves and then they felt more free and they felt more in control of themselves, which I love. I want my child to be independent and know that he is a valuable person just as he is. Thank you so much. Uh, and I would just want to pick up from your last point of allowing a child with autism to be themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of our parents out there want their children to behave like any other child. Oh, I want you to be sharp. I want you to do things faster, faster like yeah. the other sibling does. But with a child who is autistic, I've always told parents, especially the parents we work with, the schools we work with, that sometimes you'll get a child who is very slow and they're happy, they're happy the way they do their things. They're happy how, how they are to themselves. And this is something that as a parent, you're like, no, go and play with your friends. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> go and sit somewhere with your other children, your other siblings. But mm. trust me, for someone with autism, that is the atmosphere they want. That is the environment they want. And, and then also, I, I wanted to share uh, uh, about a gentleman. Um, you, can, you can go and Google. He's called Steven Wilshire. This is a gentleman who is very talented. He, 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 that is one of the uh, characteristics of, of children who are autistic, that they, when they love something, they love it to their best. Mm -hmm. So this is a gentleman, if you, you go Google about him, you're going to see that he loves drawing. And, and not, not, not that every child or everyone who is autistic draws. It's, it's different. It varies from, from, uh, from one person to another. And that's why we, it's, a, it's a spectrum. Because there are people who have a milder version. There are those that have severe, uh, that it's, it's a little bit hard for them to grasp things. But one of the key things with autistic people is that they are very talented. When they love something, they love it to their best. And now, I, I also want you to help us understand 
I know this is something that is very common uh, with us here, that people have a lot of misconceptions mm -hmm. or myths about uh, certain disabilities or yeah. certain disorders that they get. Have you, uh, or did you, or people around you have misconceptions about your child having these conditions? Yeah. Okay, forgive me if I sound cry. I always cry about this <laughs> because it's a tough topic. Um, yeah, so when I first got my, my child's diagnosis, um, especially autism, um, even in America, this is a, a very similar experience. Um, the number of people who told me they were so sorry for me, like I'd lost a loved one, uh, is too high to count. And it, when I shared his diagnosis, that they, they would often say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for this difficulty that you're going through. Like I had a sick, you know, love, sick family member in the hospital or something, but I didn't. I had the same child that I'd had for the last five years. I just now knew why he was quirky and, you know, why he was different. Um, but I think that was because they had this conception that, that my child um, with autism was broken somehow. And it's now, um, it was frustrating. It was really frustrating and hard. And I got so confused because it's like everybody's telling me I should feel sad right now. And so, but I, I don't, but I don't know why, you know, what's going on. And, and finally, um, now I'm Christian, so I'm going to have a Christian perspective on this, but, um, praying about it, I realized that, um, God made my child, uh, autistic. He is autistic. That's how he was born, and that's how he's always been, and that's how he sees the world. And the beautiful thing is that autistic and ADHD people get to see the world in a way that the rest of us don't. We don't get the way that they view it, and then they have an opportunity, if we let them, to bring their viewpoints and perspectives into the conversation. However, um, the thing that I do grieve, and I do feel sad about is that we live in a broken world that is not made for people who are outsiders. It's not developed in a way that is always including people who are on the fringes. It pushes people out of the fringes of society. And that's the part that I, I do get sad about and I do get frustrated with. Um, that's the hard part about having an autistic child. It's not him. It's that the world is not made for him. And it's constantly telling him that he doesn't belong in it. And we have to fight constantly to bring him back in. But also, that was Jesus' ministry. He always included outsiders. He made so many people angry for including outsiders. He would always be a place to bring people in. And so that's what I feel parents out there who are struggling with that same situation where your child is behaving so differently they're not being like everyone else it's so important to know that they are uniquely themselves and they we have an opportunity as parents to bring them into society and to to train educate and help other people around us to know that that diversity is good it brings new perspectives that's why we have so many cultures in the world and if we can 
learn to share and understand and appreciate someone else's culture. It's the same with these autistic and ADHD brains. Yeah, uh, this is this is very interesting and, and touchy at the same time about what people think out there. And, and, and this is why we are here. This is why we are talking about this. This is why Backup is making sure that the community get to know about this. Because sometimes it's, it's also challenging that our parents in the communities do not understand who, what is this autism these people are talking about? What is this ADHD? They are used to someone using a wheelchair. Yeah, that one is using a wheelchair. Something happened with the limbs. Yeah, he got an accident and all that. But today we are talking about autism. What is this autism about? What is this ADHD about? It sounds new. They may not know what are the characteristics. And this is why we are here. This is why we are talking about this, that these people are human beings like us. And I want to agree with, with, with Colleen that we are the ones who are disabling them. We are the ones who are throwing them away. We, we don't want them to participate in all the other activities. And mind you, they are equally the same as those that we think are normal. They can do absolutely everything that we do. And that is the beauty of it. A child with autism is bright, absolutely very bright. But how they do their things are those are the things that we need to understand. They might do it slowly, they might they need patience. So those are some of the things that as a parent out there, as a teacher has has um an advocate, you need to know and sell it out there. Tell the community, tell the parents out there that one, you need to first accept these children. Accept, acceptance will, will open doors for us to accept these children in all aspects of life. So I'm really very happy that we're having this conversation and a complicated one because imagine a child having both ADHD and, and autism, it's, it's a hard one, but I just love the way uh, Colleen is bringing it out. And, and, and today for me, I'm very pleased because this is not assumption. We are talking about real thing. She has a child who has both this condition. And I, I hope by the end of this, it's, it's going to be uh, a heads up for everyone to wake up and start doing sensitization about these conditions. And I also want to understand, what can you tell parents having children struggling with such conditions? I know you've been bringing it up in your, in your conversation, but you could still hint one or two uh, major areas where you think parents having these children can do. Thank you. No matter what age your child is, I would say it's never too late to start supporting them. It's never too late. And even if you feel like, oh, maybe you failed in the past or you, you did it wrong somehow and you're like, oh, I, try, I stopped them from doing that thing and now I'm thinking about it again, it's never too late to change. And, and your child will appreciate that. So you always have an opportunity to, to grow as a parent. And I have grown a lot <laughs> in the last few years. Um, and and to, to learn how to support them better. It's never too late. And then another thing that... Uh, Again, I have a unique perspective in that I am an American living in Uganda. And I realized um, at some point after, after getting my child's diagnosis and, and hearing from other autistic and ADHD people um, that autistic and ADHD people, 
ADHD people are a lot like an, another culture. They're their own culture. They might understand each other um, better. Two autistics from totally different backgrounds might understand uh, each other better than they would the rest of society who have um, non-autistic brains. Um, and I realized that it's, it's like they were born with their own unique culture. So they might be a choli, but they're also autistic. And they have two cultures in their head that they're working with. And when I, as an American, showed up in Uganda, I, I was very lost. <laughs> I did not know, like, I, I don't have autism, but I don't know anything about culture and about what was normal and how to greet people on the street not even language but just how to behave how you shake hands am I doing it right and everything that I did especially in the beginning I was learning I was trying it I'm trying out like these rules of society to try to understand how Acholi people uh, Ugandan people worked so that I could blend in and look kind of normal and nobody thought I was too weird even though I'm definitely stick out but <laughs> that that I could understand culture autistic people are born into that same situation they are born not understanding the rules of the society that they have been dropped into even if it's the one that's technically theirs but they are always autistic and so that that they're always having to perceive the, the world around them from that learning experience. And that's exhausting. When I first came here, I had to sleep so much because my brain was on overload trying to understand society, how to do anything because nothing was normal to me. So I, I would ask other parents, be sensitive to your child. Give them some, some understanding, some, some grace, some some empathy in knowing that they are struggling with the day-to-day -day that you don't even think about you don't even consider you just do your day and they are having to think through all of the patterns all of the conversations and prepare themselves so that they look normal or they they, they match what's happening around them um, so I, when they mess it up or they don't behave in that way i ask that you give them that grace that understanding like you would and so many gracious people were to me as a foreigner who didn't know anything. And many people were so kind and I so appreciate it. But understand that your child who's autistic, ADHD, is also having those struggles. So give them that type of grace that you would give somebody who's not from your culture. Thank you so much. And this brings me to, to repeat what I've always told parents that home is the first school. Just like she said, um, get to know your child better. Actually, you know your child better than a teacher because you are the one to take your child to school and tell the teacher that this is how uh, I give birth to this child. She, she shows these signs, he, he does this thing and all that. Because if you don't, then it's going to be a hard thing for a teacher to start understanding on, and they are the teachers who keep sending this child away from classroom because they don't understand. So please, uh, just like Colin said, let's take time to understand who our children are. And then let's not force them. I have, I, I, I have a sibling who, 
it's it's hard he, you take forever to explain to him but we've also gotten to understand that there is something wrong your child may not be the same as any other child trust me you might have four children and two might be very bright very brilliant rather and then the other two might be struggling so don't assume that the other two should be bright as the other two so let's take time to understand our children and also their behaviors and then I also wanted to find out from uh, uh, my guest Colleen if you've ever heard about inclusive education because our discussion is all surrounding inclusive education. We are looking at including those children with all these conditions we are talking about. We are just talking about autism and ADHD today, but there are many more other conditions that we have not talked about. So I wanted uh, our guests to explain about something about inclusive education, if you've ever heard about it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, from America, they have inclusive education programs. They have, uh, they often, when I was growing up, it's called special education programs. They had special teachers. There were moments in our day where um, the children that were in special education would merge with the ones who were not, and then they would go away, and then that was my understanding. Like, uh, something is happening here. Um, and now I know so much more uh, than I did. So I had some awareness and some people working into that, but I will say that I am learning so much more now that it is a part of my life and I've um, taken it on so much more because it's something that uh, is personal to me, so. Thank you very much. Just to add on what Colleen said, um, how we look at it, inclusive education just from the word inclusive, is regardless of anyone's race, tribe, culture, religion, mission, they are all part of, of let's say, a, a system that has been put up. Let's look at education. They are, they are, they are to be included. We are trying to fight against uh, units. You go in schools and you get a separate unit created for children, let's say, with disabilities, we are fighting that. Mm -hmm. They should be included in one classroom and even taught as one class. Now, a lot of times when you go to different school, they are practicing exclusion, they are practicing integration, they are practicing segregation. And, and I mean, that is not inclusion. Right. We are looking at involving every child. Yeah. We, are not, we have not mentioned disabilities here, but every child, regardless of what they are going through, to be in one class. And that is why today we are having this conversation. If you have a child who is uh, autistic, if you have a child who is hyper, if you have a child who keeps to herself, who keeps to himself, what are you going to do? Are you going to build a room for them? Are you going to create a classroom for them? Learn the skills of how you can handle the different categories of learners. There are even students or children who may not have these conditions, yeah. but they portray one or two of characteristics. And as a teacher, you need to know how to handle that. And that is why we are saying inclusion is paramount. Inclusion is the key to all that we are doing. Similarly to your homes, you don't segregate your children. If you are doing that, then you should change as a parent out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Please. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So. 
the thing that's really interesting is now I know that like our classrooms when I was a child did not have to be segregated. Yeah. It didn't have to be. And when they, when we had the moments when we were all in the same classroom together, I benefited from the people who were in the special education classes. I benefited from them. I learned more, I understood more, and I became a better person because of it. So it is not just benefiting the child who might have a disability. It is benefiting the children who do not and makes them better citizens of the world, better, better people in the community from that inclusion. So I'm all for it, for sure. Thank you for adding that. Uh, I know someone out there is wondering, we are talking about your child, your child, your child. Has your child been able to join school? I know it's a question that it's running in people's mind. Sure. Could, could you tell us if your child has been able to go to school and how easy has it been uh, for either the teacher who is teaching him or your, your homeschooling? How has it been easy? I know these are skills that a teacher out there wants to grasp. Yes. How do I handle a child in classroom? Mm -hmm. Thank you. We do not have classroom experience. I'm a homeschooling parent. Um, we did try school, um, and it was a struggle, I think, because those teachers did not know how to, to include him in a way that was really benefiting everybody. Um, but I have had now several years, um, the same time I got my child's diagnosis in 2021 was also when we were starting school. So I have been the teacher um, and the mom for <laughs> quite some time now. Um, so yeah, I have um, things that have worked in my home to help my child, the children both learn um, that have really worked. And I hope that teachers out there can take what works and adapt it to a larger classroom setting. Um, so transitions, I know that we talked about this earlier, that transitions can be a struggle. Um, and so something that I do to help both of my children transition from their playtime or something that's really easy for them into something that's more into like, okay, we're getting into serious learning now, um, is I give them a transition activity. So um, that I will often do like mazes or puzzles or something. It gets their brain working but it feels like a game. Yeah. So if you have that game um, learning that you want to do with your, your classroom, like we're gonna start with a game or we're going from playtime into this more serious, um, I would encourage everyone to find something that can transition them um, out of full play and into that serious learning. There's kind of a middle, so I would suggest that it works wonders for my children to um, instead of them running around outside then I'm getting them into something that they like but now they're seated and then they are working and then we move forward from there um, if uh, so something that I do and I get the benefit of doing it as homeschool is allowing my children to choose the order of their um, activities. So I was thinking about this for classrooms and if you have stations of learning, that might be a place where you can, you know, you're, you're all learning about something and you're going to go from station to station, allowing those children to choose which station they start at. So instead of saying, you're starting here, you're starting there, like these are all the stations choose the one you can. If there's too many kids, I'm going to have to divide you up, but you know, there's, there's, an ability for them to have that sense of self, that sense of choice, 
and that they're not always being told what to do. And honestly, this probably benefits all people, not just people like, I don't want to be told what to do all the time. I did it when I was a kid. So I think they would all benefit from, if you can provide choice, do it. I think it really benefits um, my kids. And then taking breaks, taking breaks feels, and I get into this a lot. It's like, we have so much to do. I don't want to take a break. It will be so hard to like get them back to what they're doing. The, I have too much work to complete. Um, my experience is that for both of my children, after they take a break, even a short one, five minutes, they are so much more focused. They're so much more able to learn. Their bodies are ready. Their minds are ready. Just because I took five minutes that I timed so we didn't lose track to move around, to, to wiggle, to stand up, to whatever it is, so that they felt like they're, they're, they could regain their focus. Because especially when they're, and I'm only teaching nine and six-year-olds, but maintaining focus for a long time can be hard for all people. <laughs> and so it's really difficult when your little body is just, it just has to go. So allowing them the time and the space to do that um, really helps. And I use, um, a visual, I use visuals whenever I can. So anytime that I can put the order of what we're doing in picture form on the board. So my kids know we're going to do this activity, then we're going to do this. We're doing math, then we're doing reading, then we're doing phonics, then we're going to play, and then we're going to do, you know, lunch. And then this, we're going to, I, I can, as much as possible, give them those. Words are fine, but if your children are not reading yet, um, or sometimes everybody just likes pictures, if you can have a picture up on the board to say, oh, this is, this is that activity, we're gonna go do this. Um, it's so great. If you're good at drawing, excellent. Maybe yeah. one of your children is a great drawer, have them draw it, yeah. you know? So, but then like everyone knows what's coming and they can mentally prepare themselves to work with you to go from one activity to the next. And so that really helps. And then also giving timers mm -hmm. for things. Like even those breaks say, we have five minutes, we're going to do this. Um, you know, go, go outside when then you have one minute left yeah. and one minute we're coming back and then one minute is finished. We're coming in now, you know, all of those things helps that child transition their brain from one activity to the next. They're not surprised. Mm -hmm. They're not frustrated because you've told them and they're like, I understand I'm doing this, you know, and it really helps. Um, and then for those who have a really hard time with focus, I found that physically touching, just a gentle touch to an ADHD autistic brain in particular, where they're focused on something or you're not sure if they're hearing you, I know it's easy to get frustrated and just keep shouting louder, but it actually works so much better if you go and physically touch them. Like, hey, are you hearing me? This is the instruction. And they will receive the instruction better because of that physical gentle touch. Um, just a touch on their arm or, you know, on their hand, like, this is happening now. <laughs> are you hearing my instructions? Um, and with that, obedience is something that I know that we all struggle with, right? Because we do want our classrooms, our lives to not be so chaotic and the children are not running it. The parents and the teachers are running it. And so um, the thing that I have found for helping my child be 
more obedient to to behave in a way that we can both get along with when they're having a hard day especially is to state what is happening so state the problem because sometimes they don't know what the problem is so like hey i said that we're going to move to math and you have not gotten your workbook out i've stated the problem and then saying do you need help getting your math book out or can you do it on your own there's some choice in how to do it. Maybe they've lost their math book. They don't want to tell you that they've lost it. Maybe they don't know where that is, but you're giving them choices and you're starting that conversation. I have had moments where I am leading um, like a, a, a group of very young kids in a small lesson and they're busy playing and I'm like, lesson starting. And I'm just repeating myself, lesson starting. They're all ignoring me. And instead of shouting, I have just gone over, come down to where they were and saying, I've asked you to come over. Are you able to do that? And every one of them, like, boom, 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 have just come over. And it was quieter. It was orderly. No one's angry. It took me less time and less frustration than if I had just kept shouting until something happened. Um, so that's something that's really helped me with both of my, my children mm-hmm. to really get them to work with me on doing something and, and to, to, we're learning together. We're going, we're going as one, right? Thank you so much. You, you, you've made me keep smiling. I even changed my sitting position to see you and, and, and just understand. And I've realized that teachers who are listening to this will understand because a lot of times these are the things we communicate to them. And I kept noting down a few of the things that for me, it stood out for me and I'm like, wow, wow, this is amazing. And, and it's, it's the same things that we've been telling teachers. And, and just like Colleen explained, having breaks, having icebreakers in each and every mm-hmm. lesson you're teaching is very important. For example, kids are from breakfast or they're from lunch. They are, they are either they are full mm. or they're, they're excited from running around and all that. They enter classroom, boom. We are going to learn about Mm-mm. sanitation, for example. Mm-mm. Trust me, if, if, even someone who does not have any condition, we will feel man, let us first rest. Yeah. Let my brain first settle, mm-hmm. sir. So I just love the point that uh, uh, Colleen said that have some breaks. Let them start singing as they are coming down. Right. They're trying to settle their, their, themselves, trying to settle their brains down. And then, yeah, you can start uh, your lesson. And then something that also stood out for me is asking them to make choices. Now, the one thing I've always told people or I tell parents who are close to home, when you're beating a child, let the child know why you're beating him or her. You enter, you you get a cane and lie down. Like the child is going to cry for two hours because he or she thinks you've beaten me for nothing. Mm. So it's very important. Do you know why I'm caning you? Yes, why am I caning you? Okay, I am caning you because 
you fail to do A, B, C, D. Such a child will not cry for one hour because he or she knows that they have caned me for something that I've done wrong. I am not saying caning is good. I'm just giving an example. Let them understand why you want this to be done or why you're doing A, B, C, D. I, I know in our conversation uh, sometime back with Colleen, she talked about explaining and the child is like, but why? Wow. Mommy, but why? Yeah. Why? I, I, and we have these children in our classrooms. We have these children in our homes where the child and you as a parent, you, you're like, but you kid. Actually, they challenge you. So most of the time, we need to have the reasons. And these kids are very brilliant. When they ask, but why I'm going to town to buy? But why? Even after telling them to buy food for dinner, but why? So they really want to understand, and that is how their brains function. Mm -hmm. Tell them the reason. Don't leave them hanging. And then also give them instruction at a time. You come to a class, and you tell a child, um, Pick out your math book, get this textbook, open page 20. Man, for a child with autism, even a child with ADHD is already lost. It's a lot of instructions. Can you tell them one instruction at a time? Get your math book. Have you all opened your math book or gotten your math books out? Yes, teacher. Go to page 10. Are we all on page 10? Mm -hmm. Teacher, no. Teacher, yes. Teacher, no. Teacher, yes. You follow. You go to the ones who are lost. Open together with them. Trust me. The one thing I've seen with schools is that these are these are teachers that will be loved because they they they, they do things that that kids want. And this is what we call uh, a learner-centered centered way of teaching. You're not doing a teacher way of teaching. A teacher way of teaching is you do your things. And the kids have to follow by force. But a learner-centered way of teaching is you communicate to them. You do things that work for them. Of course, not, not pushing you away from your, your lesson plan, but at least you're communicating to them and then them also aligning with what you have prepared for them. And then giving them timers. Trust me, Colleen, this is also the hardest thing with, with adults. Mm. We do a lot of trainings with teachers. And when we give them activities in the course of our training, just throw activities and then don't tell them the minutes left. Mm -hmm. They are going to start having conversation. Some of them are going to start laughing. And then they'll start doing their own things. But should you give them a, a, a time limit, <laughs> two minutes left, someone is already quacking and picking oh, the no. pen. Picking, oh, no. Exactly. Picking the flip chart. Oh, let me do this. So you realize that it doesn't only work for children with these conditions, but it also works for all of us. So a lot of these strategies do not only help children with disabilities, but also works for all of us. It's actually an added value to even someone who does not have a, uh, any disability. It makes them even understand you the more. So these are some of the things that you can do. And, and uh, uh, teachers out there, I know the teachers that have already gotten our trainings, please just do this. You're going to put a smile on someone's face. You're going to put a smile on this autistic child's face. They will look for you. They will want that particular school. I know there are parents who will testify that my child doesn't want to be changed. I want this school. I want this teacher. Actually, they cry the names of the teachers they love. And some teachers are like, but why does this child love teacher Colleen but not teacher Gladys? There is a reason. 
ask them actually ask them why don't don't be mad that yeah. this teacher has something unique of course they have something unique and the uniqueness is they they understand the student they take time to learn them they take time to accept them the way they are and also give them the room to share ask them out um um, did you understand what I taught? Let your children be free with you. Their teachers, when t kids see them, when children see them, they keep quiet. Mm -hmm. They are not free because one, you're tough. Two, you, 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 you don't talk to them. You don't understand them. I have met kids who tell me that teacher, when I put up my hand, this teacher doesn't pick me. It looks simple and something useless, but to a child, it hurts them. So let's try to understand who our children in classrooms are, because uh, most of the time we say you don't teach you don't teach a class, you teach an individual learner. So it also comes with understanding who your learners are. This one is is a is a fast learner. This one is a slow learner. This one will understand after I've repeated three times. When you know those categories of children in your class, and then even when you're teaching and explaining a concept, you'll have Gladys at the back of your mind that she's a slow learner. I know those are words we don't like using, but you'll know that she's struggling. She understands after repeating. And then you'll understand that Colleen is someone who is very fast in understanding. So you also know how to treat her in classroom. So this was just something that I wanted to add on on top of what uh, my guest explained. I don't know if you have your last, last message. My yes. <laughs> um, well, I'm so grateful for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to share my story. This is the first time I've publicly shared my story in, in any way, really. And and I realized in preparing for this how much I had to say <laughs> on it. Um, and, and yeah, I, I hope that um, parents and teachers out there can be encouraged by what I've shared and know that your child can be included, that you, you as the parent in particular have the opportunity um, to bring them in to the conversation, bring your child in, um, and bring them in to those, um, spaces in your lives and to support them so that they can do that and, and help them to make their way. And teachers, you are doing a great work. You are doing amazing work and, um, everything that backup is, is teaching. I, I love it and I'm so into it and I, and I hope the teachers can hear how they can make a space that doesn't just benefit those disabled children, but it benefits everybody. We all have difficulties that we struggle with, even if we don't have these conditions. We all can benefit from these things that we are providing for, for autistic and ADHD people. Sometimes, even if you don't have that diagnosis, you still benefit from it, like Gladys was saying. So, um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you, Colleen. And uh, allow me again and again to thank you so much for one, accepting uh, to share your story. I know some parents um, may not feel at ease to share to the whole world mm -hmm. about what they are going through, but thank you so much. I know this is a message that is going to um, open up a lot of parents' uh, understanding so. 
all the misconceptions they have. And, and just like I said, I do not want to blame parents. I also do not want to blame teachers because a lot of these conditions, especially the ones you do not see, it's really very hard to tell. And um, it's not until you, you go to the hospital, you diagnose your child, and diagnosis of these conditions is not something very cheap. And, and uh, it's, it's my prayer that we get to have this at the back of our mind, even when you do not have money, but at least you understand and you know that these are the things I need to do. If I get money, I can go and test out my child. Mm -hmm. And trust me, there are schools out there that that will accept your child. Let's not hesitate to keep our children home. And, and just like I said, some of these children are the ones that will, will, will be a breakthroughs in your families. We, we ignore them, we, we throw them away. We, we think the ones that we call normal are the ones we are going to help. Trust me, sometimes they are the opposite. They are the very kids that we've thrown away are the very kids that will be breakthroughs in our family. So let's take them, let's accept them in our schools, in the classrooms, let's treat them uh, equally. Uh, thank you again, uh, our guest, Colleen. And as Backup Uganda, we always say, every child can learn. Thank you for listening to Every Child Can Learn. Please share your thoughts with us. Join the conversation on Facebook or send your questions to 0772-630078. Do you want to learn more about Backup Uganda and stay updated about our activities? Check our website on www.backupuganda.org and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn.